0: you shall be holy because i the lord your god am holy leviticus 11:44 and then we turn over a few pages and we read again you shall be holy because i the lord your god am holy leviticus 19:2 this daunting call, this high command that you and I would live lives of such holiness they would resemble the blazing holiness of God could summarize the entire book of Leviticus. I think it could summarize the entire Old Testament law and perhaps even be a good summary of the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. You go, wow, that is a high and daunting call. I'm so relieved that I live under the New Testament. And then we turn where the New Testament apostle says this in this morning's reading from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, and we find not only that same verse quoted, but even intensified. First 1 Peter 1.15, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. That raises the question, doesn't it? Which is the question of the morning. What exactly does it mean to be holy? What would that look like in your life or in mine? Now, Christians over the years have attempted to answer that. And oftentimes, their answer has come in the form of a list. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. (laughs) I remember when I was in college, I was in a singing group, and a number of our concerts were held at churches, and so we were instructed before we went to those churches, you may not take into the church playing cards, because those are unholy. You may, though, take in Rook, (laughs) which, last I checked, is playing cards. It has four suits, just like the other deck. What's the deal? Now, we can kind of laugh about that, but the holiness list has not always been a laughing matter among Christians. Karen and I were invited to a friend's wedding at a church in Indiana, and she was going to be in the bridal party. Before uh, we drove down, her her friend, the bride, called her and said, hey, when you come, don't bring any jewelry. And so Karen hung up, and she's like, that is so sweet. She's going to buy the bridal party matching earrings and necklaces. What a great idea. So we got there and discovered the real reason. We walked into the church, opened the front door, came in, and right there, an enormous wooden sign that said, commandments. And then in hand painting, listed all the commandments. And I quickly realized, oh, these are not the commandments from God handed down on Sinai, things like, thou shalt not murder. These were other commandments. They went like this, women shall not wear jewelry. Women shall not cut their hair. And as you may be picking up, the list was pretty hard on women. And then it went on down. There were like 10 or 12 things painted there on that sign. Now, thankfully, very few Christians have gotten confused and thought that that kind of misogynistic claptrap has anything to do with a holy life before a holy God. But before we get really hard about their wrong answer... Are we so sure we have the right answer? Can you or I answer with any kind of clarity and conviction what it means to live a holy life, to be holy as God is holy? This is not a small question, friends. It is a non-negotiable for anyone who's interested in a life devoted to God. It says clearly in the scriptures, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we, we can't kind of fudge on this I, This is the only way Taking seriously a holy life Is the only way that you and I can become the kind of Christians Who do not leave a bad taste in other people's mouths It's that important I, I don't think there are many topics That would be, I would consider more important For Christians in our culture And in our time than this To be able to say with clarity and conviction This is what it looks like To live a holy life And then to pursue that I want us to look at it together Now, thankfully, we are not left on our own. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, he's getting near the end of his life, and he answers this very important question, what it means to be holy. And we're going to look at that together. Would you turn there, please? Now, the first thing that Peter helps us with, as he shows us what true holiness is, it helps us contrast it with the kind of fake or imitation holiness that we so often see. The first thing he wants us to know is, true holiness does not start with what I do for God. It starts with what God has already done for me. See, there's a lot of systems out there where it's like, if I do this and this and this and this, then finally, God's going to get excited about me. Finally, God's going to smile on me. Finally, there's going to be a sense of blessing and connection and favor from God. No, that's called legalism. True holiness starts with, because God has already done so much for me, now I respond. Let's look at how Peter sets that out for us. Peter says, look, can I just remind you all where you were in life? Verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You used to have this life where you were driven by evil desires. You didn't know any better. That's just the way everybody does it. And verse 18, You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. You were bought back from like... It's like you were a hostage and and you were set free from the hostage taker from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Every one of us Some of us were wild child. The empty way of life was one more night in a bar. Others were mild child. It was one more night watching Netflix. But there's an emptiness to life apart from God. It's like sitting in the bathtub and you keep turning on the tap trying to get some more meaning into your life, but the plug is always pulled up and the water's just draining out. You can't find meaning that way. But we all see people all around us, don't we, who are convinced, one more promotion and I'm finally going to feel good about myself. One more relationship and I'm finally, finally going to have meaning in my life. And Peter's saying, that was empty. There was nothing in that. It was always draining out on you. But God in his mercy has rescued you and he's made you his children. Look at this, verse 14. Now you are obedient children. You've been like adopted into this family since you call on a father, verse 17. Now you have a loving parent. And look at verse 23. You've been born again. Again, this image is you're like this newborn child. You weren't born of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter's saying when the word was preached to you and you received it with faith, God actually birthed in you a new life. We could almost say that God implanted in you his genetics. You now have his character, his nature inside you, and and you can't help yourself. You want to grow up and be like your father. You have that resemblance now. You live in this new home. So Peter's saying, look, don't even start to be holy until you get that it's a response to the fact that you had this evil desire life, this ignorant life, this empty life, and God in his mercy has rescued you from that through the precious blood of Christ. He's made you his child. He's brought you into his new home. And now, out of response to that, be holy in all you do. Be like your dad. Karen and I used to live for many years in a neighborhood where the houses were packed really close together and most of them didn't have air conditioning. And so what that meant was that you got to know your neighbors really well. And so one thing we got to know about the neighbors who lived over to our right was that they shouted at each other a lot and screamed and slammed doors and obscenities and the whole bit. And because of that, I think, their youngest, Jake, who was almost three, would come and find his way over to our house where things were considerably calmer than that. And so uh, Jake discovered one day while he was over playing that our driveway was awesome because it was breaking into chunks and you could grip one of the chunks of loose asphalt and throw it at something nearby. Like my car! I looked out the window, right? As he's letting go of this chunk of asphalt that goes right to the windshield, boom, and breaks it. I went, ah! I went running out of the house. I'm like, Jake, Jake, no, you can't do that. Stop that right now. You cannot do that. Well, Jake wasn't going to take that lion down because at his home, here's how you handle that. He came over to me, he stamped his foot, he looked up at me, and he pointed his tiny little two-year-old finger at me, and he dropped a word on me that usually belongs in R-rated movies. And I said, Jake, we don't talk like that here. You have to go home now. So Jake went home. In about a half hour, Jake came back. And in that day, we basically had a daytime adoption of Jake from that day on. And we said, here's how it works, Jake. You can come over here as much as you want, and you can play here as long as you want. But when you're in our house, you, you're going to be like one of our kids. So you're going to play like Andrew and Ann play, and they can't say certain things, and so you can't either. And they can't like, attack each other with sticks in the eye, and so you can't either. And so, so Jake actually took the deal because he loved being in our house. Now, what God is saying to us through the Apostle Peter this morning is that every one of us is Jake to God. Every one of us were living in some kind of life where it was crazy, and we were driven by evil desires, and there was an emptiness and and pain and problems, and what God in his mercy has done is is, is said, come on into my house. Come on in here where it's calmer and quieter, and, and you can be loved and at peace, and we have this enormous privilege of learning to live like one of his family members, like him but it's also the responsibility. And it's in that context that Peter says to us in verse 14, as obedient children, verse 15, be holy in all you do. Learn to live like your dad. Do you see how the true holiness is just started from this fountain of gratitude? Whereas that legalistic fake holiness is always trying to earn. It doesn't work. Now, let's go on, though, and get clearer in our heads. Once we have this gratitude response, what do we do? How do we learn to live like our Heavenly Father? Peter summarizes that, I think, in verse 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, here's the imperative, love one another deeply from the heart. That's how you show you're like your Father. You love people. You love them deeply, not in the fake way, not in the way that they actually can tell it's not real. And you go, well, Peter, yeah, but love is a vague word. Love gets used a lot. Love can mean a lot of things. Could you be more specific, please? Why, yes, he can. Let us turn to 1 Peter 2, chapter 1. Therefore, this is what a love of others like your father loves will look like, and this is some of the elements of a holy life. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He can't help himself. He's talking about children like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Now, this is another important distinction. The fake holiness version, the legalistic holiness version, has a list, but its list is all external actions that are relatively easy to check off. And if you check those boxes, then you're holy. Peter's list, it, oh, yeah, it's going to affect your outside action. Yes, you will act differently, but you see where it's really driving? It's saying it's not content to stay on the surface. It wants to get all the way down until our inner drives and desires have become more fatherlike. And here you see that. It's malice, deceit, hypocrisy. It's all those things inside. That's what true holiness goes after. Maybe I can give an example. Some people, and in a desire to uh, establish holiness of life, have said, no R-rated movies. A Christian should not go to R-rated movies. And so, but the way they approach it is a bit like this. If I check that box, I am therefore holy. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe all that means is they're just watching more MA, And they're getting their fix of violence and cars exploding and people undressing that way. No, the person who's really passionate about holiness and becoming like their father says, I might or might not see an R-rated movie, but I probably won't see as many as most people, and here's why. Because it inflames my lust. It inflames my, my thirst for revenge. It does things in my heart that are so unfatherlike. I'm not going to do it. Are we preaching yet? What true holiness does is it goes down and gets in right here and starts to change us. Let's look at it more closely, because Peter does. He starts with this word, malice. Rid yourselves of malice. Now, what is, what is malice? It's the desire you feel to hurt somebody. Now, most of us are not sociopaths. We don't want to hurt somebody for no reason. We want to hurt somebody because they've hurt us. And it's justice. It's the principle of the thing. And so, what do we do? Well, most of us don't actually put an explosive device in their mailbox and blow that up. What we do most often is is slander them. We drag them into the court of public opinion. And we take it to them. If If you're at Starbucks the next time you're there, or a restaurant where the tables are set very close together, and you are catching snatches of the conversation next to you, Do this little survey. I have found that about half or more of the time, the conversation at the next table is something like this. Can you believe what you did to me? What's going on? It's slander. There was a book that came out a few years ago, some of you may have read it, Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. The author was a rabbi, Joseph Talushkin, and when Telushkin went on author tours, here's what he would ask his audience. He would say, all right, let me see the hands of you who can go, who think you can go 24 hours, that's all, just 24 hours, without speaking unkind words to another person or about another person. Well, the audience would laugh because they're like, I can't go 24 minutes, you know, and you're asking for 24 hours. And then Telushkin would say this. He said, if you cannot go 24 hours without lighting up a cigarette, you are addicted to nicotine. If you cannot go 24 hours without pouring yourself a drink, you are addicted to alcohol. And if you cannot go 24 hours without saying something unkind and negative about someone or to someone, you are addicted to slander. You have lost control of your tongue. And Peter says, God isn't like that. God is so tender in his heart toward people. He only speaks the loving truth toward them. And you say, yeah, but it's justice. It's a matter of principle. You know what I think is really happening? We avoid the hard work of forgiving that person so deeply that we can actually show kindness to them. And yet Jesus tells us that's exactly what our father does. If we want to be like him, he couldn't make it plainer. He says, love your enemies and do good to them. Then you will be children of the most high because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Oh, friends, who is that person? They keep coming up in your imagination because of the way they hurt you. And they did hurt you. You keep thinking about them when you wake up at 2 a.m. You keep bringing them up in the conversation. You keep dragging them into the court of public opinion and thereby flogging them. And your friends all agree with you. What they've done to you is outrageous. Do you want to be like your dad? Rid yourselves, Peter says of that kind of malice and slander. Get it out of your heart. And like newborn babies, crave for pure spiritual milk. God has implanted His nature in you and He's given you that desire and He'll give you the capacity. Well, let's look at one more. Peter sets next to each other two words. One is deceit and the other hypocrisy. And they're cousins, aren't they? With deceit, I want you to think that I'm more honest than I really am, that I'm better than I really am. And with hypocrisy, I want you to think I'm more devout than I really am, that I'm really much more sold out to God than what's actually the case. And, and so we all are steeped in this. We go out to Res Cafe, and we've got coffee in our hand, and we're standing there, and in and, and our conversation, we're thinking, I, 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 hope I want you to think that my marriage is actually a lot better than it really is. I hope you think that my finances are a lot more together than they really are. Sometimes somebody will be talking to me about a book or a current event or a movie, and I'm kind of embarrassed because I don't really know anything they're talking about. I don't know where I was that month or year, but I missed it, you know. And, and rather than just say, I don't, I don't know, can you just fill me in on this? I'm really clueless. I'll nod as if I know what I'm doing. What am I doing? I'm trying to help you think that I'm smarter than I really am or more up-to-date or whatever. And what we're doing is, in every one of those situations, we're avoiding the hard work of telling the truth about our condition, of being honest of what's really going on inside. That there needs to be someone in your life who knows the truth about what's going on and can tell the truth about it because that's what our Father's like. It says of God the Father that that he is not a man, that he should lie. The Bible says of God the Son, that in his mouth was found no deceit. It says of God the Holy Spirit, that he's the spirit of truth. When you align with truth, you align with God. And as long as you're fudging and kind of jiving and hiding and using deceit and hypocrisy, you're living in your old, evil, empty way of life. And God says, I've rescued you from that. Now live holy as I am holy. Has the Spirit begun to search your heart, friends, to say that there's ways that you need to grow up? God has given you every means for that. He's implanted in you his very life and nature. The reason you have a desire to be more like your father is because he put it there. He's given you a capacity that will grow and you will become more and more like him if you cooperate with him. And this morning, what he's calling us to, through the words of the Apostle Peter, is to collaborate with him and to rid ourselves of malice and slander to to stop avoiding the hard work of actually forgiving the person who hurt you and to show kindness to them. He's saying, rid yourselves of deceit and hypocrisy. That's not the way the Father is. The Father is pure light. He doesn't ever have any darkness, shadow, cloak of deception. And you can do it if you'll just tell the truth about your condition. On Good Fridays here at Resurrection, we invite people to come and make a oral confession to a pastor. And it's a beautiful opportunity, and if you've never done it, I encourage you to do it. One Good Friday many years ago, a woman came into my office to do that, and she pulled from her purse a piece of paper, and then she unfolded it, and then she unfolded it again. And as she made her confession, she went line by line, single-spaced, handwritten, Through this sin and that sin. And when she got down to the bottom of the page, I thought she was done. She took a breath, she turned it over, and went about halfway down the back page. It was the most exhaustive confession I'd ever heard. Later that night, we had our Good Friday service, in which the goodness of God in Jesus Christ was so clearly portrayed, and his cross was set down there for people to pray around. And, and, and the, the message that, that it was not with, with cheap stuff that God redeemed you from that kind of life, but it was with the, you know, the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. After the service, everybody was gone pretty much, and there were just some staff members there and some sound people put, winding up the, the cords because we were in rental space at that time. And I noticed she was still sitting in her chair with her head down. And so I went over and I got in the pew and sat down next to her and I said, are you okay? She said, you know how I made a confession to you? And she looked up and her eyes were blazing with rage. Her face was flushed with anger. I said, yeah, I know. She said, well, I, 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 there's one more thing that I really need to confess. And then she said what that was. And it was a moment of a soul bare before a holy God. And then she just started sobbing until snot ran down her face. And I thought about that later. I thought, she started the confession process and so much good happened there. But it was not until she realized that God had done so much for her and rescued her from that that she had the courage to feel loved, to know she's in the Father's house. I just want to be like my Father. And now I'm going to tell the truth. Friends, what is it for you this morning? that God is calling you to grow up and he's saying, because I'm your father and I love you so much, be holy as I am holy.